Section 29 of Selected Interviews with Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Interviewer's Questions, read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Ingersoll's Responses, read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Interview Title, Political and Religious. Printed in the Chicago Tribune, November 14, 1879 first question what do you think about the recent election and what will be its effect upon political matters and the issues and candidates of 1880 ingersoll's answer i think the republicans have met with this almost universal success on account first of the position taken by the democracy on the currency question that is to say the party was divided and was willing to go in partnership with anybody whatever their doctrines might be for the sake of success in that particular locality the republican party felt it of paramount importance not only to pay the debt but to pay it in that which the world regards as money the next reason for the victory is the position assumed by the democracy in congress during the called session the threats they then made of what they would do in the event that the executive did not comply with their demands showed that the spirit of the party had not been chastened to any considerable extent by the late war the people of this country will not in my judgment allow the south to take charge of this country until they show their ability to protect the rights of citizens in their respective states then as you regard the victories they are largely due to a firm adherence to principle and the failure of the democratic party is due to their abandonment of principle and their desire to unite with anybody and everything at the sacrifice of principle to attain success yes the democratic party is a general desire for office without organization most people are democrats because they hate something most people are republicans because they love something do you think the election has brought about any particular change in the issues that will be involved in the campaign of 1880? I think the only issue is who shall rule the country. Do you think, then, the question of state rights, hard or soft money, and other questions that have been prominent in the campaign are practically settled and so regarded by the people? I think the money question is absolutely. I think the question of state rights is dead, except that it can still be used to defeat the democracy. It is what might be called a convenient political corpse. Now, to leave the political field and go to the religious at one jump, since your last visit here, much has been said and written and published to the effect that a great change, or a considerable change at least, had taken place in your religious or irreligious views. I would like to know if that is so. The only change that has occurred in my religious views is the result of finding more and more arguments in favour of my position, and, as a consequence, if there is any difference, I am stronger in my convictions than ever before. I would like to know something of the history of your religious views. I may say right here that the Christian idea that any God can make me his friend by killing mine is about a great mistake as could be made. 
They seem to have the idea that just as soon as God kills all the people that a person loves, he will then begin to love the Lord. What drew my attention first to these questions was the doctrine of eternal punishment. This was so abhorrent to my mind that I began to hate the book in which it was taught. Then, in reading law, going back to find the origin of laws, I found one had to go but a little way before the legislator and priest united. This led me to a study of a good many of the religions of the world. At first I was greatly astonished to find most of them better than ours. I then studied our own system to the best of my ability, and found that people were palming off upon children and upon one another as the inspired word of God, a book that upheld slavery, polygamy, and almost every other crime. Whether I am right or wrong, I became convinced that the Bible is not an inspired book, and then the only question for me to settle was as to whether I should say what I believed or not. This really was not the question in my mind, because before even thinking of such a question I expressed my belief, and I simply claim that right and expect to exercise it as long as I live. I may be damned for it in the next world, but it is a great source of pleasure to me in this. It is reported that you are the son of a Presbyterian minister. Yes, I am the son of a New School Presbyterian minister. About what age were you when you began this investigation which led to your present convictions? I cannot remember when I believed the Bible doctrine of eternal punishment. I have a dim recollection of hating Jehovah when I was exceedingly small. Then your present convictions began to form themselves while you were listening to the teachings of religion as taught by your father? Yes, they did. Did you discuss the matter with him? I did for many years, and before he died he utterly gave up the idea that this life is a period of probation. He utterly gave up the idea of eternal punishment, and before he died he had the happiness of believing that God was almost as good and generous as he was himself. I suppose this gossip about a change in your religious views arose or was created by the expression used at your brother's funeral. Quote, in the night of death, hope sees a star, and listening love can hear the rustle of a wing. End quote. I never willingly will destroy a solitary human hope. I have always said that I did not know whether man was or was not immortal. But years before my brother died, in a lecture entitled The Ghosts, which has since been published, I used the following words. Quote, the idea of immortality, that like a sea has ebbed and flowed in the human heart, with its countless waves of hope and fear, beating against the shores and rocks of time and fate, was not born of any book, nor of any creed, nor of any religion. It was born of human affection, and it will continue to ebb and flow beneath the mists and clouds of doubt and darkness as long as love kisses the lips of death. It is the rainbow, hope, shining upon the tears of grief. Unquote. The great objection to your teaching urged by your enemies is that you constantly tear down and never build up. 
I've just published a little book entitled Some Mistakes of Moses, in which I have endeavoured to give most of the arguments I have urged against the Pentateuch in a lecture I delivered under that title. The motto on the title page is, quote, A destroyer of weeds, thistles and thorns is a benefactor whether he soweth grain or not. Unquote. I cannot for my life see why one should be charged with tearing down and not rebuilding simply because he exposes a sham or detects a lie. I do not feel under any obligation to build something in the place of a detected falsehood. All I think I am under obligation to put in the place of a detected lie is the detection. Most religionists talk as if mistakes were valuable things, and they did not wish to part with them without a consideration. Just how much they regard lies worth a dozen, I do not know. If the price is reasonable, I am perfectly willing to give it, rather than to see them live and give their lives to the defence of delusions. I am firmly convinced that to be happy here will not in the least detract from our happiness in another world, should we be so fortunate as to reach another world and I cannot see the value of any philosophy that reaches beyond the intelligent happiness of the present. There may be a God who will make us happy in another world. If he does, it will be more than he has accomplished in this. I suppose that he will never have more than infinite power, and never have less than infinite wisdom, and why people should expect that he should do better in another world than he has in this is something that I have never been able to explain. A being who has the power to prevent it, and yet who allows thousands and millions of his children to starve, who devours them with earthquakes, who allows whole nations to be enslaved, cannot in my judgment be implicitly depended upon to do justice in another world. How do the clergy generally treat you? Well, of course, there are some distinctions among clergymen as among other people. Some of them are quite respectable gentlemen, especially those with whom I am not acquainted. I think that since the loss of my brother, nothing could exceed the heartlessness of the remarks made by the average clergyman. There have been some noble exceptions, to whom I feel not only thankful, but grateful but a very large majority have taken this occasion to say most unfeeling and brutal things. I do not ask the clergy to forgive me, but I do request that they will so act that I will not have to forgive them. I have always insisted that those who love their enemies should at least tell the truth about their friends, but I suppose, after all, that religion must be supported by the same means as those by which it was founded. Of course there are thousands of good ministers, men who are endeavouring to make the world better, and whose failure is no particular fault of their own. I have always been in doubt as to whether the clergy were a necessary or an unnecessary evil. I would like to have a positive expression of your views as to a future state. Somebody asked Confucius about another world and his reply was, quote, How should I know anything about another world when I know so little of this? Unquote. For my part, I know nothing of any other state of existence, either before or after this, and I have never become personally acquainted with anybody that did. There may be another life, 
and if there is the best way to prepare for it is by making somebody happy in this god certainly cannot afford to put a man in hell who has made a little heaven in this world i propose simply to take my chances with the rest of the folks and prepare to go where the people i am best acquainted with will probably settle i cannot afford to leave the great ship and sneak off to shore in some orthodox canoe i hope there is another life for i would like to see how things come out in the world when i am dead there are some people i would like to see again and hope there are some who would not object to seeing me but if there is no other life i shall never know it i do not remember a time when i did not exist and if when i die that is the end i shall not know it because the last thing i shall know is that i am alive and if nothing is left nothing will be left to know that i am dead so that so far as i am concerned i am immortal that is to say i cannot recollect when i did not exist and there never will be a time when i shall remember that i do not exist i would like to have several millions of dollars and i may say that i have a lively hope that some day i may be rich but to tell you the truth i have very little evidence of it our hope of immortality does not come from any religion but nearly all religions come from that hope the old testament instead of telling us that we are immortal tells us how we lost immortality you will recollect that if adam and eve could have gotten to the tree of life they would have eaten of its fruit and would have lived forever but for the purpose of preventing immortality god turned them out of the garden of eden and put certain angels with swords or sabers at the gate to keep them from getting back the old testament proves if it proves anything which i do not think it does that there is no life after this and the new testament is not very specific on the subject there are a great many opportunities for the saviour and his apostles to tell us about another world but they did not improve them to any great extent and the only evidence so far as i know about another life is first that we have no evidence and secondly that we are rather sorry that we have not and wish we had that is about my position according to your observation of men and your reading in relation to the men and women of the world and of the church if there is another world divided according to orthodox principles between the orthodox and the heterodox which of the two that are known as heaven and hell would contain in your judgment the most good society since hanging has got to be a means of grace i would prefer hell I had a thousand times rather associate with the pagan philosophers than with the inquisitors of the Middle Ages. I certainly should prefer the worst man in Greek or Roman history to John Calvin, and I can imagine no man in the world that I would not rather sit on the same bench with than the Puritan fathers and the founders of Orthodox churches. I would trade off my harp any minute for a seat in the other country all the poets will be in perdition and the greatest thinkers and i should think most of the women whose society would tend to increase the happiness of man nearly all the painters nearly all the sculptors nearly all the writers of plays nearly all the great actors most of the best musicians and nearly all the good fellows the persons who know stories who can sing songs or will loan a friend a dollar they will mostly all be in that country 
and if I did not live there permanently, I certainly would want it so I could spend my winter months there. But after all, what I really want to do is to destroy the idea of eternal punishment. That doctrine subverts all ideas of justice. That doctrine fills hell with honest men and heaven with intellectual and moral paupers. That doctrine allows people to sin on credit. That doctrine allows the basest to be eternally happy and the most honourable to suffer eternal pain. I think of all doctrines it is the most infinitely infamous and would disgrace the lowest savage, and any man who believes it and has imagination enough to understand it has the heart of a serpent and the conscience of a hyena. Your objective point is to destroy the doctrine of hell, is it? Yes, because the destruction of that doctrine will do away with all cant and all pretense. It will do away with all religious bigotry and persecution. It will allow every man to think and to express his thought. It will do away with bigotry in all its slimy and offensive forms. This ends our interview, Political and Religious.